You're listening to a special review uh, of Ant-Man and the Wasp. We are here to talk about this film that released for us yesterday, uh, sweeping the box office everywhere. And of course, it's a Marvel movie, so we're here to talk about it. Uh, We're going to start off the way we always do with these reviews uh, by discussing... Counting the money. Counting the money. Uh, No, that's for Kevin (laughs) Feige to do. Uh, Actually, he has so much money... That he can't physically count it. He can only swim through it in his home. Scrooge McDuck style. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck levels of wealth. Wow. Yes. And actually what I've heard, the rumor is, that if you go to his house the week uh-huh. after one of these films drops, the uh-huh. mo- some of the money actually spills out the windows. And you can grab a couple 20s or 50s here and there. The fuck are we doing here, man? Well, listen, it's, it's Saturday. We got to go there next week. I don't know where he lives. We got to find out. Go next week and just grab some of the cash that'll be on the ground that spills from the windows. We might be able to actually fund this operation. Dude, that, it'll at least pay for the trip itself, right? Like, let's go. Road trip! <laughs> Instead, we'll have to settle for guessing the tomato meter score. And the audience score over at Rotten Tomatoes is something we do for all of our film reviews. Uh, so why don't we get started with that uh, Marco, why don't you take a guess? Tomato meter and audience score. 93 and 88. Okay. I'm going to go 95 and 85. Okay. Phil? Um, I'm going to say the tomato meter from critics is 82%. And I'm going to say the fan meter is 86%. Very interesting. Uh, so you guys were all off. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the tomato meter score is 86%. Damn it. With an average rating of 6.9, uh, 179 fresh reviews, and 28 rotten reviews. Um, and the audience score is actually an 81%. Wow, that's lower than I thought it would be. I almost had yeah. it backwards. Yet the average rating is a 4 out of 5. I don't really get that. Very interesting. Uh, I, 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 think, um, I think the tomato meter is probably around where, where, I, where I landed with this. Uh, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. yeah. Let's, so, let's, uh, so let's jump in um, and let's, let's talk about the film. We'll do our spoiler-free impressions first, as we always do. Uh, so stick around if you haven't seen the movie yet. And if you have, of course, we're going to do spoiler stuff later on. So hang around for that. So, uh, just spoiler free impressions of this film. Well, in case you don't know what this movie's about, it's about a man that, uh, is a giant ant and his girlfriend, who's a giant wasp. And the wasp is about a man that's an ant and his girlfriend, who's a wasp, as they try to figure out how to get the wasp's mom out of the quantum zone. That's the synopsis of the movie. Um, yeah, realm. <laughs> um, my general synopsis thought here, uh, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. I really like Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd might be my favorite Hollywood man. Um, one thing I thought coming out of this movie, um, it was like the most necessary movie that they could have possibly released following Avengers Infinity War because this was the least least plot-driven movie the MCU has produced thus far. 
It was it was it was as lighthearted as possible. And I think following something like Avengers Infinity War, which was a heavy film by superhero film standards, it was a good breather. And uh I really enjoyed it for what it was. And unlike something like Thor Ragnarok, where I thought a lot of the jokes fell flat, I was very entertained by the jokes in this movie. So was that. Huh. I um I agree with your synopsis. Um I'm glad you agree <laughs> with the wasp finding her mom. Um and yeah, I think that this was I hadn't I hadn't thought about it in that in that way, but I, I think you're right. This was a necessary film because of where we're at after so much story has been provided to us. Uh, you know, like if you relate it back to comics, it's a filler issue kind of. And I mean, yeah. sure, you know, it, it it just gives the event that room to breathe for a second for to let it sit in. Um, so that, yeah, that's definitely that, that's a really good point, Phil. Um, it's a palate cleanser. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and. Yeah, it was it was a you know it was it was a it was a fun movie. Um, there was nothing to it. <laughs> yeah, there were and there were no gla- there were no problems with it necessarily, um, at least from like a direction standpoint. And it was fun. Yeah, that's it. I, there wasn't substance so much, but it was okay. Uh, Pete, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on this? Uh, so I'd say I echo a lot of what Marco said here. Um, I thought I thought it was a fine movie. You know, I think um, in general, like there there wasn't anything that I thought was like glaringly bad about it. But I also didn't really think that there was anything that was like superb. You know, there was nothing about it that um, grabbed me in the same way that the original Ant Man did. You know, I think what really worked for that movie for me was. Uh, the comparison that you made, Phil, right? It was the right film at the right time. It had come after Avengers 2, and I remember that movie really didn't land for me, and it felt like kind of bloated, and having something that was smaller and more personal was really like the right direction for the MCU at that time for me. And I was kind of hoping for more of that with this movie, but um, instead of that, it, it definitely felt a little more by the numbers. You know, it felt like kind of just like a typical superhero movie, whereas the first one really felt like a heist. And um, not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I think that coupled with like some humor that didn't land for me and like some leaps in logic in the plot um, overall just kind of led to me just feeling okay about it. You know, I certainly enjoyed it, but um, it, it definitely didn't wow me nearly as much as as its predecessor. Reminds me a lot of how, of how I felt about Deadpool 2. Uh, I... <laughs> I definitely think that this movie uh, is A, better than the first one uh, in almost every way, and B, is presents a, uh, a conflict for the film that is, all, I'm almost willing to say, 100% unique. Um there there's never been any like that i can recall a comic book film with a central conflict like this and never one in the mcu and the resolution is so different so um i think i think it's extremely fresh 
And so for that alone, I, I really enjoyed the film. But then you tack on the fact that the performances, in my opinion, are all top notch. Um, I think Paul Rudd, it really has, has a great a good cast. cast. Uh, Paul Rudd did a great job. Evangeline Lilly, I've been in love with her as an, as an actor since Lost because I'm a huge Lost person. Um, and uh, I was so glad when she was cast in this role. And I think the first movie she did well. This movie, she was on fire. And I think it's because they gave her so much more to do. Uh, the fact that she, it's the movie's called Ant-Man and the Wasp is no joke. It really is about both of them. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, Hope's role is the emotional anchor of the movie. Uh, Paul Rudd, he's got his family stuff, and he doesn't even really want to be engaged in what's going on. It's Hope and her quest, uh, as Phil said, to bring to bring her mother back that really is the driving narrative of the movie. And it creates... What is, in my opinion, as close as the Marvel movies have gotten to a real family feel so far. A lot of people love to tout that Guardians 2 was that. This, I, I, I didn't feel that way. I felt like this movie really, really uh, felt like it had, it had a lot to do with family, a lot to do with legacy, which I really appreciated. Um and there were some big moments in this movie that really sold me on the idea of a, a family in the Marvel Universe almost akin to the Fantastic That's Four. That's what I was thinking you were going to say. Yeah. You talk about you talk about being in love with Evangeline Lilly. Michelle Pfeiffer is in this film. She's part of the cast. Um, when she is in this movie, I saw her and I was like, who is this woman? Because I forgot she was in it. And I was like, that is the most attractive old woman I've ever seen in my life. And in the cast, it was like, Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm like, oh, there you go. That's why. Here's a weird thought real quick. Sidebar. She's 60. Paul Rudd is 49. What? <laughs> I'm 1,000% I'm convinced that Paul Rudd is either A, an immortal, like like an Paul, old one, an Paul old Rogan's god, or be a vampire. Because years. before we move on, I, I wanted to shout out a few more people who I think did an incredible job. Uh, to me, the the breakout standout beyond anyone in this movie is Abby Ryder Forster, who played Cassie. Oh, she's awesome! Yeah, best kid actor ever in one of these movies. I a lot of times really dislike child actors in adult films, uh, but she did such a tremendous job with everything that she was given. World's best uh, grandma. <laughs> I I loved uh, uh, Jimmy Woo as well. Oh, he was... Uh, um, without spoiling anything, he wanted to get dinner with Paul Rudd at one point in the movie, and it, it felt very, like, that, that, that the way that relationship had uh, grown to that point, I was like, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's funny, too, because I think that was one of the times where, like, the um, kind of, like, improvisation, like, loose direction moments, like, came across the – like, it. it's a long – they let that play for a minute, but it, like, it, it got me, you know? it's It, it, it felt very it, authentic. It felt, it felt very authentic for the relationship they had built between those two characters, you know? Uh, and then uh, 
Lawrence Fishburne, he didn't get a lot, but I loved what he did here. Uh, again, a twist that two twists like with his with his character that I really enjoyed. Uh, and then last but certainly not least is uh, Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. I love Michael Douglas, and I thought he was brilliant in this role. Uh, we'll talk more about that later because there's something there's there's some stuff with him that I really. I uh, want to mention, but uh, overall, phenomenal casting. Great job by everybody, I thought. Uh, for a movie that is as solid as a movie can possibly be without being great. You know, um, it's not in the, the upper echelon of the Marvel movies for me, but it's the movie that's right below them. Yeah, I'd say it's in the upper echelon of the middle of the pack. You know, like it's it's as good as you can be in the minor leagues without not quite being good enough to jump into the majors. I have it really close to my top five. Yeah, it, it it's it's just outside of that for me. So, and out of what nineteen films, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, ratings. Uh, B plus. Phil, we do numbers. Uh, eighty-seven percent, eight point seven. Yeah, that, that's that's about where I'd put it. I, I think like eight four, eight five. You know, like it's it's a solid B on a good day, a B plus. Hmm. Give it like a eighty. All right, I think that's fair. Like, I'm gonna give it an eighty nine. Uh, I think it's just outside of the the nineties. You know, in that in that A level, uh, there's nothing particularly wrong with it um, but we'll talk more about that a little later so uh, we're gonna jump into the spoiler section if you have not seen the movie and you care about spoilers now's the time you want to jump out but be sure to come back to this space and listen to the rest of our review of course if you have seen it or don't care about spoilers stick around so uh let's just dive right into this deal uh this movie takes place after avengers infinity war or, I'm sorry, it takes place just before Avengers Infinity yeah. War. Uh, and Ant-Man is on, or I guess uh, uh, Scott uh, Paul Lang. Rudd's character, Scott Lang, is on House Arrest. Love this uh, so much. Yeah, and it creates some really, really fun and funny moments uh, for the film. Phil, go for it. So, uh, he's got Cassie over, and he builds a very elaborate heist setup in there where they're trying to get around these lasers and stuff inside these cardboard boxes. Um, and Michael Pena is there and they're basically trying to steal uh, his trophy that he got, that she got him for like father's there for his birthday at some point. And uh, it really shows like, like, Hey, he's got a lot of time on his hands cause he's under house arrest and has been for almost two years at this point. And B, how much like he really gives a shit about his daughter, which is his like primary motivating factor. And I watched this, I'm like, this is the most me shit I've ever seen. This is something I would do. Um and I, I forgot how much I loved Paul Rudd in these movies. Uh he's the most likable Avenger, I think, from like just like a personality standpoint. I would say Steve Rogers is like the most he's, he's the Avenger you'd look up to the most, but like Scott Lang is the guy you'd be like, Yeah, I wanna hang out with that guy. That was my favorite scene in the movie, probably. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes. Yeah. I, I thought that was just so cute. And um, I, I'm with you, Phil, where like Paul Rudd's definitely one of my favorite leading men in Hollywood. So it's like the fact that this movie definitely like relies a lot on the fact of like, 
well, you like Paul Rudd, yeah, right? Exactly. It's like, yeah, you know what? Like, I do, so it's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> and he accidentally violates his, his uh, house arrest because his foot goes outside of the fence after going down this very elaborate slide. And that's when everyone comes over, including uh, Cassie's mom and stepdad. And I love in this movie because there was like a big point of contention that, like, this is what I mean about this movie, just like not getting too too much in the weeds of plot. The first movie was like, you know, Scott is such a fuck up, you know, he makes all these mistakes. In this movie, both uh, the dad, the stepdad who's like a cop and his ex-wife come over and they're like, oh, Scott, we love you. You're great. Like, we're, we're past this. And they just, everyone loves Scott Lang because he's the most likable person in the world. And they're like, can't you just leave him alone? <laughs> Like, I, I really love how they played up the, like, because, like, the stepdad has, like, maybe three lines and every <laughs> single one of them is him just, call, like, being like, we love you, buddy! Like, <laughs> like that part at the end where, like, they all, like, go to hug and then he comes in at the very end and just hugs him, like, <laughs> it's just very sweet. It's very good comedy, too. Like, it's just <laughs> the repetition. Um, and also, like, you can't do this. He has rights. And he's like, yeah, they, they, they can. <laughs> this is harassment. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very good. Um, I think you're, I, I'm with you. This is uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And I also like, just like, you got a sense of how much free time he has. Like, he learns magic on the side to the point where. <laughs> that was so funny. Close up magic, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where the FBI agent's fascinated by it and, like, looks it up uh, during office time. That was that was definitely one of my favorite jokes too, because like they got some good mileage out of it. Like I love when he does the callback later on, and he's like, "That's the first thing they teach you at CloseUpMagicUniversity.com. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like the joke out of Arrested Development. It was very good. Um, and then the way the plot evolves from there is uh, Scott gets the vision of um, Janet, uh, Janet Pym, uh in his head, and he contacts uh, Hank and Pope. Who he's been estranged from because of teaming up with Captain America in uh in Germany, stealing the suit and not telling them. That's right. So you get some of the continuity of what happened after Civil War because last we had saw Scott, he was in uh prison uh with uh Captain America's other allies other than um, Bucky. Uh, and this is I felt like very true to him. He would take a, a plea a plea bargain to basically be under house arrest so he could be with his family, right? But I also like how much shit they gave him for being, like, quote-unquote friends with Captain America. Cap? <laughs> that's, a, that's, what we, that's what we call him, okay? I mean, he's a, I, I, we're like, we're, I guess we're not friends, but, like, I know him. He knows me. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, Thank then, you for thinking of me. Remember <laughs> that line yeah. from uh, Civil War? Well, yeah. it's that guy. You're great, too. Well, Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. I fucking love Paul Rudd. I don't know what to say. He's just so authentic in everything he says. This movie made me feel like I could watch a Hank Pym yeah. and uh, Hope film uh, without Ant-Man even being involved. Like, their, their, their scenes without him were really compelling, I thought. Um, and I, I love, I love this version of Hank Pym. I was so pissed... When they first announced that Hank Pym would be an older guy and that the main Ant-Man would be Scott Lang. I did not realize how much I would fall in love with what they chose to do. Uh, I think it's, it's brilliant. I love the fact that there's this 
legacy attached now uh, to where there are stories of, of, of what Hank and Janet did in the past that we don't know. And they can always pull from those if they want to. Uh, that opens the door for a S.H.I.E.L.D. movie that could be really great. That opens the door for them to appear in Captain Marvel. There's so many things that could happen. And um, the, the chemistry, I thought, between uh, Michael Douglas and uh, Evangeline Lilly as mother and or uh, father and daughter was spot on. I really believed it. Um, and I just every time that they were together, I, I was in love with what was happening on the screen. It was very palpable. It seemed like a really authentic father-daughter relationship, and they were they would go to any means to help find their mother and wife. Exactly. Yeah, I think uh, the thing that you said earlier, Sean, that stuck out to me was the thing about like the family dynamic. I feel like this is one of the f- one of the few Marvel movies where I feel like the extended cast really feel like they're pivotal. You know, like they don't just feel like like it's like Ant-Man and his friends, you know, like <clears throat> Scott's buddies feel like that, you know, Which like and that's fine. In this movie, by the way. And that's OK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that's all they need to be is like they're there to be comic relief and they're they're Scott's friends. That's all the development they need. But I like that the the first generation of Ant-Man and Wasp and then their daughter, obviously, you know, are like it's Ant-Man and Wasp, right? So her family is obviously a super important part of like this legacy, but also like Scott like wouldn't be a hero or Ant-Man or anybody without them. So it's like there's like an intrinsic connection to them that feels <clears throat> um like a little bit more akin to some of the way we see relationships develop, like on some of the Netflix shows. Like it feels like we have had more time with these characters than we really have, you know, because of the way that their relationships have been set up, but then also how we've seen them develop. And you know, you make that's that's interesting, Pete. Because one thing I thought while watching this movie, and th- th- I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, so I apologize, but it felt like all the new characters that were introduced in this movie are going to be back for the third one. Whether it was Ghost, um, Goliath, um, uh, the FBI agent, like the way it, it just feels like it's just growing. Yeah, like it, it definitely felt like this was like Ant Man One was a proof of concept, and this was kind of like widening the scope a little bit and showing you a little bit more of his world. You know, S- since you mentioned them, Phil, uh, Ghost and Bill Foster, so the big sort of twist is that uh, Bill Foster's actually working with Ghost. I uh, fucking knew it. I was scared of that and then when they actually did it, I was like, come on, man. I love Bill Foster. I love Goliath. Don't do this. Don't, don't make, make him, him a bad guy. Yeah, don't make him evil. Um, they did it really well, though. They did it so well and this is this is what I really loved about the movie is that it subverts your expectations in ways that are Fantastic! Like last you Jedi. Assume, yeah, I yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Uh, you assume that Ghost is and, and Bill Foster are going to be these evil people who are going to try to what you know whatever. Um, uh, and 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 Ghost is ready to kill Janet in the quantum realm to get what she needs, which is survival. what she needs is survival exactly. And you can res that that can you can resonate with that. Uh. That, like you understand and also you understand that she's been going through this pain probably for 20 years plus and that that might have 
mess with her head a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so she's not an evil person. She's just a desperate. dying person and, de- and a desperate person. And Bill Foster is almost like a surrogate father. He feels bad for her. He fe- probably feels in some way guilty and he wants to try to help her live. And so you created a tension and a conflict where you can see both sides. And so often that's not true. And it's not a, it's not a, like, uh, for example, Zemo in, in Civil War. You can see his point of view, but he's doing shitty things. He's, he's objectively wrong. He's a piece of garbage. In this movie, Ghost is definitely like hurting she's, people. She's not a bad guy, really. But she's not a bad guy. And Bill Foster definitely isn't a bad guy. He cared about Hank having a heart attack. You know? His intentions are pure. Exactly. Yeah. What's what's like? In, what's interesting about uh, Ghost and Bill is that they are reflections of the moral ambiguity of of Michael Douglas, Hank Pym, because they both have cases in which they assert that they were fucked over by him, by Hank Pym. They, in the case of Bill Foster or Ghost Dad who was uh, working with uh, Hank Pym 30, 40 years ago, uh, Hank, Hank Pym's actions got one, like one of them completely fired, and the other was disbarred and killed because he was trying to continue with his experiments without basically having the resources to do so. Well, and then to be, he did push back on that, he did. Though, right? Oh, no, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that he was bad. I'm saying it was morally ambiguous because there was a claim that he did something bad. Well, that's the thing I was going to say, though. I think it's actually interesting because I do think he's still presented as a little ambiguous because, like, it is like, sure, Ghost's father was a liar. A traitor. Yeah, if we take that on face value, he was a traitor. He tried to steal his research. Fine. He doesn't try to really defend his what what bill says as much like he says like oh he fired him or whatever. But it very much seems like they just had a personality conflict because he was tough to work with, you know, and it's like. Yeah, like, I buy that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, and I actually What are you didn't... trying to say, Pete? <laughs> I actually didn't come down morally on, on landing on either side. I thought I thought there was room for both of them to be embellishing or hiding something without me thinking, oh, wow, you're evil for that. It was more like, yeah, people really have disputes like this that go this way. Yeah, it just seemed like a working relationship that fell apart. And and maybe because Hank didn't respect him enough, right? Like, but either way, like, that's a human disagreement. It's not like this ultimate betrayal, you know? It's like, yeah, it's just like sometimes that's the way shit goes. And, and, and that's what I mean when I, when I talked about uh, the stepdad and the mom not hating Scott Lang anymore. This movie just doesn't dwell on this shit. Like, it moves on. And it was really refreshing because, like, I remember there was the point where it was like, oh, Scott could be able to get home in time to make it seem like he's still under house arrest. And they just like they just let it play out for fun. Like they, they they don't dwell on this shit as like a major as a major plot point. They just let the movie move. The movie just keeps moving. Yeah, it's funny, man. Um not to like jump around too much, but I wanna like bring on this up, I guess, before I forget it. Like that's actually my biggest criticism of it, is like the times when it doesn't just let it move. Like there's a couple times where I think the movie really forces errors on itself. Um, and they just like kind of do some either just like lazy writing or things that just straight up don't make sense. Um, 
So, like, for example, the thing that I thought was one of the most frustrating things in the film was how many things happen just, like, by coincidence. I know what you know? that. And, like, normally I'm, I'm one to forgive shit like that to a certain degree in, like, movies about superheroes because, duh, right? Like, we're, we're, we're already, like, suspending our disbelief a certain amount, like, okay, fine, coincidences happen. But, like, the fact that uh, we're led to believe that for at least the last, what, two years or whatever, that Hank and, uh, and Hope have been working on, on this device to try and find Janet, right? Okay, so then it just happens to be that they make a breakthrough at this exact time that happens to be a few hours before it's going to close up in some weird way for... Forever, basically, until they're all dead, right? Like, okay, why? Why Like, why is that happening? It's to put a clock on something. It's to give, like, tension where there isn't tension for the sake of the film. And it's just dumb because it just doesn't make sense. Like, that's so random and, like, so happenstancy. And shit like that happens a couple times, you know? And, like, that's how I felt about, like, Janet just has quantum energy absorbed in her that she can yeah. use as a healing thing yeah. to just heal Ghost for some reason. But, like, she's not really healed because for some reason, we still have to go back and get canisters of the healing energy that just exists in the you know it's like come on yeah you know I mean, it's like i mean just things like that that just feel so day sex you know and not like dumb in a comic booky way dumb in just a not thought out way or just a well who fucking cares yeah though that's what it is if this was like a movie that was more plotty i would definitely not overlook this shit because that's that uh, and a mo- if this was like Infinity War and shit like that was happening, I would care more because it's like that movie relies more on plot. This movie plot is all secondary. Um, this movie is about like two things: finding um, uh, Hope's mom, and just, it, like just monkey shines. I just don't know why we had to put a clock on the chase, right? Like, the chase works without there being a ticking clock of, like, we don't have an hour! It's just like, really? <laughs> Marco, you haven't gotten a word in edgewise. Jump in. Um, I don't know. I guess it was, like, sure, the that was the way the, the plot was sort of laid out. It was just made to be simple so we can just add those the fun layers, I think, and and that's what this this largely was. It was just fun layers, and yeah. it, it had its you know it had its moments, and obviously it had its issues. But it, it, I I mean it's surf it was it was surface stuff. And yeah, it was surface stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah that's that's basically it. And you know, one thing I was looking for in this movie, and I think it provided because I knew this movie was just gonna be kind of a light hearted thing. Uh, I want a lot of fun with the size altering stuff. And I think they, like, there was a lot of different ways of portraying the shrinking and growing. Like, I like the car that has different gears to switch size. I thought that was fun. That was so cool. And the fact that they had him in, like, the Hot Wheels tray. Yeah, like, yeah. I love that. And just, like, all the different houses and yeah. stuff he just kept pulling out. It's, like, just really creative, you know? I really like Scott riding the truck like a skateboard, kind of. That was, oh, yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. yeah. This is shit like that. 
or uh, the the Pez yeah. toss. That was good. <laughs> I love. I just like Michael Pena's character is just like he oh, gets yeah. me. So like every time he's just so charming, yeah. but um, he's just like you got Pez. <laughs> like, he wants a suit. <laughs> he's like, dude, I, I would even take a suit with like minimal powers, or maybe a suit with no powers, like. <laughs> I think this movie, more than any other movie that Marvel has put out, encapsulates the differences between, I guess, the first five years of the MCU and the last five years. Um, Because if this movie had been made, like, seven years ago, it would have been so different. Uh, And you can tell because of the first Ant-Man. So, in the first Ant-Man, for example, the villain, Yellow Jacket, is such a bare-bones villain... He's boring as fuck. He's horrible. And I read an interview with Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed is the director of this movie and the director of that one. And he said he hated the Yellow Jacket character. And that that was a relic in the script of what was being done before. So what he's saying is, you know, that was what Edgar Wright had been doing. That's what, you know, that crew had been working on. And that character is very, very much a reflection of what a lot of villains were like back then. Where it's like... You're just a reflection of the hero. And uh, with this movie, they they went so far in the other direction in terms of... Um, Both Bill Foster and Ghost. Sure, but, then, but, but also with the plot. So, for example, you guys were talking about the situations with uh, the, the stepdad and the, and the mom. Seven years ago, there would have still been friction. Now there's not. You're, you know, like they let it go. Uh... Uh, there would have been way more like melancholy and, and excess drama attached to every single element of the film. And I love that they didn't do that. Nine times out of ten, I would be on this podcast saying, I hate the fact that there are these continuity, not errors, but uh, that there are these conveniences. Normally, right, normally I would I would be railing against that. But I gave that up very early in this movie when... Uh, Hope was talking to the the generic gangster guy, <laughs> and uh, and she keeps Wim, saying side mouth talk guy like yeah, I, I, I can't even remember his name. Uh, Cotton Eye Joe, I'll find it. That's what we're calling him now, Cotton Eye Joe. It was Sunny Birch, but we can go with Cotton Eye Joe. Well, <laughs> Cotton Eye <Night> Sunny. <laughs> so she's talking to she's talking to Sunny and. She keeps referencing a component, and she keeps saying the word component over and over again. And I hate generic MacGuffins like that. And then I realized, well, this movie's not about that. And I don't want to know about all the, like, deep technological stuff that they're doing. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'd want, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And after I thought that, I, I was like, I'm submitting myself to whatever this movie wants to be. And I'm going to go You guys just put the, the word quantum in front of everything? That was a great yeah. line. <laughs> so it's, it's funny, man, because that is actually, um, <laughs> that that was like one of my only like peeves with the the comedy was I felt like that was a well they went back to like one or two too many times of like Scott doesn't understand science lol but there was a couple times where like that that joke really landed for me and uh the part where like whenever they would explain something science and he's like that's exactly what I was thinking yeah <laughs> there there was a scene really uh, I, my my early consternation was there was a lot of exposition that was like really heavy in the very beginning and, and they got away from it really quickly. But like when the FBI agent 
is saying to Scott, like, all right, your two years are almost up for the house arrest because of this thing that happened in Germany, Captain America, da-da-da-da-da. And, like, in my head, I was like, there should be a line here where Scott's like, why do you say that every time you come over? Well, I thought that that, they played that really well because he was telling the little girl. He was telling Scott's daughter, and she's just like, what are you talking about? You know, like, that was a clever way of getting that in there. Um, it was the thing I personally appreciated too because like I went and saw it with my girlfriend and she hadn't seen Ant-Man 1 so like I gave her like a brief synopsis of the plot on the way over like to the movie um cuz the only time she'd seen him was in Civil War and uh and then that happened I was like oh there you go <laughs> Right and you got to figure with the with the numbers that Ant-Man 1 did there are probably a ton of people who don't know what happened in that movie who saw him in Civil War and want more but yep. don't know what came before. So I thought Catches, that was, yep. yeah, played played brilliantly. Um, so let, let's shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about the the villains. Yeah. Right? So this movie is actually kind of packed uh, with with villainous figures, right? You've got Sonny Birch, uh, you've got Bill Foster, and you've got uh, Ghost. Uh, now, Ghost is introduced in a really interesting and cool way. Love her I thought the Yeah, the visuals with her were so so cool marco did you agree with that yeah the i thought they were like pretty pretty insane uh just because if her phasing or whatever is supposed to be reflective of quantum and whatever the quantum is uh each every time she would move there'd be like alterations of her path because she has those options to go within until her quantum state is realized so So i was like that's neat um, <laughs> Marco phrases this Can I d- very complicated kind of quantum physics thing. That's neat. <laughs> I I want I want just a screenshot of Marco when his face is like that, and just that on a t shirt. It's like that's yeah. neat. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, I thought she was really she had a really cool design. I thought she was uh, a compelling enough villain. Um, Again, for what it is, um, but I like the entity she brought to it. You know, she, um, she was obviously the the par- the contrast for, uh, for Hope, um, especially in the in their fights and um, earlier when you had mentioned or on our on the main show when you had mentioned sort of their fighting styles and everything, um, you sort of saw differences and nuances in just the action compared to. Uh, to when she would fight with uh, with Scott, um, Scott was much more comedic and stuff. Um, and Bill, I did, I, I don't, I didn't know who the character was um, until someone in like behind us went, "That's Goliath." And that's when I podcast, and that's when I kind of perked up. And he's like, he was the old. He, he used to have the suit to grow, and I was like, oh, I know that's and then. And then Marinette, and then Marinette turns over. He's like, "Who's that?" He's like, "Well." They <laughs> 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 um, also said all those things. He's part of the Goliath Project. They talk about how big he got. Context was Marco. That conversation was one of my favorite exchanges in the movie. I got twenty five. I grew twenty five feet tall that day. Yeah, that was funny. Twenty five feet is pretty good. And he's like, "Why?" And I thought you get. He makes a face like, oh, I'm not going to say it. No, please, I really want to know. 65 feet. Whoa! <laughs> That's awesome! 
65 feet. 65. <laughs> that was fucking great. Yeah, uh, so regarding Ghost, uh, H- Hannah John uh, came and played Ghost, and uh, I was very disappointed when I first heard that they were changing the character. Because in the comics, Ghost is like a tech terrorist, weirdo freak, typically an Iron Man villain who is always like a sort of a mercenary for hire when it comes to technological theft or disruption. That's that's kind of what he's into. And uh, I really wanted that. <clears throat> um, and I thought it made a lot of sense. But with what they chose to do, I love it because it was fresh. Um, I am thinking now, and I can't recall a single... Um, uh, female antagonist in one of these movies. Yeah, yeah, wait, there's, uh... Hella. 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 Oh, I'm, oh my goodness, wow. Yeah, Hella, of course. Uh, okay, so we got our second one, um, and that, and that's pretty cool. I, I really, I really like that. Um, and, uh, I will say, I don't think that she was given a lot. Uh, she was a little crazed and, and manic and desperate. I was really so, worried about that at first. I... Because when she first unties Paul Rudd, or when, or when she first wakes him up, she's like very flirty with him. I thought that was like my yeah. initial impression, and I was like, "Oh no, this is some Harley Quinn shit. I'm not in for that." And it ended up being a lot better than that, fortunately. I th- I would have probably liked to see her play the desperation up a little more. I thought there was a level she could have gotten to that never really was achieved. That could be due to the tone of the film, which I understand. Uh, they didn't. They want maybe wanted to keep it lighter, um, but the point was made, right? The point was made. We got the point, and that's fine. But I, 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 as a villain, as an antagonist, I think they could have done a little better, uh, just in terms of what she brought to the table. Um, but I love the idea. Uh, yeah, I agree with that she felt a little flat to me um, as a character. Like, I think, like, visually, she was so cool, and the way they used her powers were really interesting. Like, I think, um, like, we brought up Yellow Jacket before, and I think one of the worst sins of those characters is not only are they usually, like, not interesting as characters, they're not visually interesting because they're just the same power but in a different color, you know? And it's like, that's dumb. Like, the fact that she had this power of phasing against somebody who, you know, uses uses size to dodge attacks, like made for a lot of really dynamic fight scenes, you know, like the first time that she and, uh, and Scott, like, you know, go toe to toe. Like it's, it's really cool to see the way that their powers bounce off of each other, you know? And like how often, like, like that one scene where she's on the bike and then all of a sudden he's like, oh shit. Or, or, or maybe it's Evangeline Lily. She's like, oh shit. And then she kicks her way in the van and it's just like, oh, like they, they do such smart things with the power set. And I just wish that she as a character had had a little bit more room to breathe because the fact that I walked away having more feelings about uh, Goliath, I think is a problem because he was really supposed to be her supporting character. And I was more interested in his dynamic with um, Hank than I was with her dynamic with anyone. And uh, and then I also felt like Sonny was kind of like, if he hadn't been there, maybe she would have had more room. But he was funnier, and like he probably matched the tone of the film a little bit better. So it kind of felt like they had to, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too, with like this character with the tragic backstory and the cool powers, but not like focus on that too much because you don't want to bring the movie down. So I felt like it it felt a little. 
she felt underutilized. I didn't feel like the film was crowded. I just felt like she didn't really feel like she had much of a place. It, it, I think. It, yeah, Marco. Sorry, I I think she, she sort of fit with like the the two antagonists sort of felt like uh, or like the three sort of felt tropey in 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 a way like there was they were being pursued by the gang and then they had like the main villain and then they had a tangential character associated to the villain they it, they fell into those kind of groups for me and so having they just finished uh kicking bill out of the lab right and then they just finished tricking um ghost out of and into some like random location so they can now grab the the actual building and then out of nowhere the gang comes comes through and then it, it, it kind of played up the the comedy for me so i i sort of think they i sort of think they they all worked in that sort of realm it, it kept the movie moving basically it, like uh combat joe was there basically just to move the plot more um I feel like all three of them work as parts of the whole. Yeah. Yes. And yes. On their own, they don't stand super well. And Especially is- because two out of the three can't do anything that bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they have to be redeemable in the end. Well, that's mm-hmm. that's where I, that's the other thing that made, I think, Ghost intriguing to me is if this was a movie 10 years, 20 years ago, she would have died. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. she doesn't die, and that's also why I didn't have an issue with the the Duex Machina powers of of the um, of Michelle Pfeiffer being able to cure her of this quantum displacement. I had no issue with that. You because- love that, Sean? I loved it. Why? Because I I can't question how she can do that when she was in the quantum realm for thirty years. I don't even know what the quantum realm means, well, uh, so I can't. I, I hate can't. that though. Also, you know why I don't mind? Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. There, well, there's the dialogue where he's like, "Did you know your wife could do that?" Like it implies that there's a lot. Well, that's the thing with her and Ghost. Both they're setting them both up for the third movie to do more. Right. So the way I've been viewing this quantum realm business is that it's going to play heavily into the future of the MCU. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, but and, and I, the last, the, the, my point I was trying to finish is what made Ghost so interesting is that this is the first time I think where a villain was redeemed. Right. Well, Sandman was redeemed, right? I, was that a movie? <laughs> In the MCU. <laughs> Was that even a movie? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess Loki kind of, but he he was I, redeemed in death. Yeah, <laughs> and he died. Like he he was Little. redeemed as he was dying. Yeah. Uh, so to take it to take it back to what I was saying, um, the quantum realm is an unknown component of the MCU, and so far. They have used it to bring back Janet and to heal Ghost. So what's cool about that is that we don't exactly know what's going on with it, but we have the promise of, of more. Uh, and I think that that we can look to the third film to really dive into that. And I also think we're going to see a lot more of the Quantum Realm in Avengers 4, and I think we're going to see it in future films. So... I don't mind that they haven't explained it all yet because I expect yeah. it's coming. And it's very interesting because they, with Infinity War, you get as big and vast as you really can. And in this movie, you get as insular as you can. Marvel is like as little and as big as possible in just two movies. So speaking of uh, the villains, 
Sonny Birch uh, has a boss, and the movie doesn't say who it is. And I'm very curious as to who that figure might have been. I'd love to speculate a little bit because he definitely references a boss several times. He says that they're powerful people, but we don't know who they are. So I'm wondering, is it someone we know or is it someone we don't know? Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Sean. Because <laughs> the one thing I can say about Sonny is that he lacked vision. There's a lot in my vision for a better New York that involves the quantum realm. And Paul Rudd stood in my way. So, <laughs> President President Fisk, I just wanted to ask real quick before we let you go. Um, would you say that you have a, a vision board? <laughs> <laughs> I have a vision board with the time gem in it. <laughs> uh, so Kingpin actually brings up a good point in that um, wh- whoever his boss is is very interested in this technology, right? So it's got to be somebody that's tech based or uh, you know might have a desire to go into the quantum realm. I was thinking, uh, I-, I mean, I had a few thoughts. Uh, maybe it's Yellow Jacket himself. Uh, Maybe he's found a way to speak to people through the quantum realm. Uh, maybe it's the I mean, Mandarin. Janet did, right? Right. Maybe it's the Mandarin. Uh, maybe he'll make his return. Oh, that's wishful thinking on your end. <laughs> I believe the Mandarin will be back. I believe we have not seen the true Mandarin in these films. In fact, I know we haven't because of the little uh, short film that they released a few years back. You're hoping for the best. I know you are. That's right. Uh, any, any guesses before we move on? It's probably gonna be a character we don't know. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, yeah. My thought is that it's it's somebody from the MCU that we haven't, or from the the you know proper Marvel universe that we haven't seen realized yet. Right. Uh, and then the other thing that I thought was really intriguing regarding the quantum realm. I don't know how many people were able to even catch this, but uh, there were plenty of Easter eggs in there. Uh, there's a scene where uh, they're like showing, I guess, Scott's time in the quantum realm really briefly. And you see all these flashes and there's like fire and like a hellscape in there. And um, Peyton Reed has said that uh, absolutely there were Easter eggs and absolutely there were there were allusions to future events inside that shot. Um, so... Yeah, that I I haven't had the opportunity to like watch the movie again or go back and see that specifically, but I just thought that was a, a little nugget to add because it's future events. It's their nod to one more day. Oh, oh. it's Mephisto. <clears throat> it's awful. Sean almost just threw up. You know, <laughs> <her> audio viewers. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> it's truly awful. Um, yeah, go ahead, Phil. Well. Uh, there's a scene toward the end in the post credits where uh, Scott goes into the quantum verse, quantum realm, and this fucking idiot behind me, because like all these colors start showing up, he's like, "I fucking knew a Doctor Strange." <laughs> <laughs> my friend and I both like turn around, like, "What the fuck?" Uh, I love that he's like, I fucking knew it. Yeah, like, right? The, no. The most confident. I fucking did not. 
So, is this the first time where a an MCU's an MCU's film's ending was really the after credit scene? Yeah, I didn't know that Ant was still playing the drums. Oh, Christ. <laughs> they usually they usually feel like they're really setting up the next thing. This is the first time where I really felt like it's like if if you like walked out before that last scene, you like missed something very significant, you know? It was yeah. a true end to Infinity War. No. Dude, that that moment like totally like uh it really caught me off guard. It did. Cuz like when when it started happening, um, my girlfriend just goes, "Oh, I know what's happening," and I was like, "What? You didn't like, know? Oh, like I didn't catch it at first because I was just like, it's Ant Man. It's been light and breezy and whatever.' And then I'm just like, "Oh no, 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 no!" Like, oh, I, I literally go, "There's another total Deus Ex Machina thing." The right? I was like, "What are the chances it'll be all three of them?" <laughs> 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 for, for those of you who don't know. And don't care about spoilers. Ant-Man went down into the quantum realm, and as he did, uh, the events of Infinity War uh, transpired, where Hope, uh, Hank, and uh, and Janet all disappeared as a result of the snapping of the Infinity Gauntlet. And Scott is now trapped in the quantum realm. That's right. Uh, and now I love. Which has that. some really interesting implications, man. Yes, that 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 was the the thing more so for me was. Sure, he, sure that happened. But like, what does that mean for him now? Is he gonna have like that? Like, I, I was thinking he's gonna have that. Eventually, get that same thing that the mom had, where she can she he can harness the energy potentially, and he has the actual like the 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 container to maybe grow out and be able to continue to uh, be able to control his size so he doesn't tire out. They, they they gave the answer in the movie if you if you really paid attention uh, Janet tells him to avoid the time displacement whatever the hell and uh, he's obviously just gonna go in that and come out in the future because you can do um, that yeah and then he's and then that's oh, probably yeah, because yeah. Did, did you read the spoilers about what's going on with Cassie? Yes, and we've talked about it on the show that Cassie uh, will be an adult, or a not teenager. an adult, but she she'll be a teenager. Oh in, right, in, uh, yeah. So, um, but he is supposed so, to be in the next Avengers movie. So what I'm yeah, so what I'm suggesting is that the next Avengers movie takes place a few years from now, and that he comes through time and 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 loses out on some years. Gotcha, gotcha. And that by that time, Cassie is already a teenager, and he's missed out on her oh, and all that. She's stuff. probably going to be a, a, a moody teenager. Yeah, so, uh, and then that might also allow for some funky stuff where maybe the Avengers themselves go back in time and with fight dinosaurs, and, and fight, <laughs> <gasps> and fight Thanos. Maybe. Wow. Uh, yeah. So all that said, I think. Um, I think Ant-Man 2 was a really enjoyable film. I think we all agree with that. And definitely a palate cleanser, uh, given all the larger-than-life stuff that's been happening of late in these films. Uh, very, very excited to see what they do with a third movie, if there is a third movie, and definitely with this cast of characters going forward. Uh, I think Peyton Reed did a really great job as a director, uh, and you've got to you've got to shout out the cast and, and everybody involved with this uh, fantastic work. 
And um, Ant-Man 2 definitely living up to the legacy of the first one, I think, in every way. And doing things bigger and better. Baba Yaga. Lifting <laughs> 100 times its weight. <laughs> oh, man. Let's hope it makes 100 times its cost so that we can keep, ensure a sequel. Yeah. Ant-Man 3, baby. Let's go. That's right. So that's going to do it for our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, definitely, definitely let us know what you thought about this film. Uh, there are plenty of ways you can do that. Uh, you can head over to uh, our Gmail page where you can uh, hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com and uh, write into us, write in with your ideas about, or your ideas. You guys are fucking me with these fingers. <laughs> <in my mouth>. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> write in with your thoughts on the movie. Uh, and uh, you can head over to YouTube and uh, leave us a comment, leave us a like, uh, share the video, and subscribe to our channel. Helps us out a lot. And um, head over and listen to the most recent episode of the show. Uh, that's going to be episode 89. Uh, and uh, we reviewed Captain America number one, uh, Man of Steel number six, and Batman 50. So uh, lots of good stuff over there for you guys. We also interviewed... Andrew Maxwell and Goran Gligovich. So check that out. With that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next time Marvel makes a movie. I'm the Ant Man, Buzz Buzz. Buzz Buzz. Buzz Buzz. Oh. <laughs>